Please turn in your Bibles to first to first Peter chapter five. And we'll be looking at uh, verses five through the end of the text. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he loves you. Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. For you have suffered for a little while Yet the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Praise God for the reading of that word, and we ask for his blessing on us as we go to that word this morning. As I uh, have preached uh, here before, I have often uh, shared with you uh, a story or something to kind of lead us into the, into the message of the morning. And some of those, I, uh, I had to admit, I made up. I made up the story. But I've tried, I've tried to be faithful in uh, letting you know when I made those stories up. The, what I'm about to share with you is not made up. This story really happened. It is true. You can ask my wife later. <laughs> Jackie and I enjoy uh, playing golf. Uh, she doesn't play so much anymore because of of uh, arthritis and things that are kind of starting to hurt where they didn't hurt before. But uh, about 25 years ago, we decided we were going to take a trip to Florida to, to play golf. And we let our friends know. Well, our friends, when they heard about this, the, this uh, plan to, to venture to Florida, uh, the, uh, the wife of, of uh, my friend told Jackie, Watch out for alligators. They are all over down there. They are all over in Florida. And, and I learned how you can get away from an alligator quick. Don't run in a straight line. They are really fast running straight. You run in a zigzag pattern so that you can get away because they, they, can't, they can't make that maneuver. Jackie had this in her head. She had it all figured out. We had a, we had a plan. We, went, we made reservations at a golf resort, Don Shula's Golf Resort. We were going to play golf on the, on, on the, on the resort that, golf, uh, that Don Shula played on. We went to the hole, the first hole. Jackie asked the, asked the uh, starter there, are there any snakes or alligators on this course? He said, well, a few years ago, there was an alligator in the lake 
uh, on hole 14, but we haven't seen him for years. You'll be safe, no problem. We played that, that course, went all the way around all 18 holes, no problem, nothing, nothing showed up on hole 14. That afternoon, we went to the Everglades, and we, we saw alligators galore. There were uh, let me get, let me not exaggerate too much or you'll start thinking this is made up. <laughs> there were dozens of alligators that we saw that day, that day in the Everglades. And uh, we saw them, and you know how they, how they sit in the water and you've seen pictures of them, how they're just, their, their nose and their eyes are above the water? That's exactly what we saw. We witnessed that. We, we took uh, one of those airboat air rides around in the Everglades. We saw alligators all over. It was, it was awesome to see that event. We played golf the next morning. We had a, a tea time the next morning back on, hole, on, on the course at Don Shula's Resort. We got to hole 14. Hole 14 had, had a lake on the left-hand side. I have a tendency, I have golf left-handed, and I have a tendency to, to, I call it a fade, some people call it a slice. I have a tendency to, for my ball to drift to the left. And sure enough, I got up there, and there it went, plop, right into that lake, right into the, the water of hole 14. Jackie hit it right down the middle straight. She didn't, uh, she didn't, uh, uh, need me <laughs> to tell her how to, how to do it. We were in a golf cart. Jackie, to, uh, I told Jackie, you take the golf cart around on the cart path. I'm going to walk the hole along the lake and see if I can find my ball. Okay, great plan. Jackie took the golf cart around and up to the green. It was just a par three, and so it was, it was a short distance. She, took, she got up to the green. I got walking along the course, I, uh, along the lake. I saw my ball right there. I couldn't quite reach it. There's an accessory tool that some golfers use. The pros don't use it so much, but duffers like me have it in our bags. It's called a ball retriever where you can reach out and, and pick up balls that are maybe lost in the water. I call it a ball getter. That's, that's, what, that's how, just how I've come to refer to it. I see my ball down there. I need that ball getter. I look up, see Jackie starting to walk for, towards me from, from uh, the golf cart, and she's just got her putter in her hand. She doesn't have the ball getter in her hand. I say, the ball getter, get the ball getter. She starts to this frightened look on her face. She starts zigzagging this way and zigzagging that way and running and running and running. And I say, what in the world are you doing? She says, I thought you said it's an alligator. True story. <laughs> Sometimes we get things locked in our heads so much that we miss what is really being said. Sometimes we'll get it fixed in our minds, what we think is being said, and we'll miss it altogether. Lord God, I pray. This morning as we open up this, your word, your word of truth, God, that we wouldn't have in our minds, I've got this all figured out, I know what, what's coming, I know what to expect. God, that you would show for us the truth of your word and help us to hear it clearly and correctly. God, I pray that as this word is given out this day, It'll be your spirit who speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been so looking forward to tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> Marvelous grace. We're going to close out this book of 1 Peter that we've been in for several months now. Three months to be exact. I think that's how long we gave Pastor Jeff off. And so... <laughs> I hope he's really enjoyed that sabbatical and, and uh, that it's been a grace to him. This marvelous grace that we're going to speak about this morning, Paul or Peter began his letter by, by praying for the, the readers that he was giving this letter to that their grace and peace might abound to them. You can find it back in, in verse 2 of chapter 1. As he comes to a close in this letter, he closes with grace and peace. That's, there's kind of a bookend of that theme. And what we're going to look at this morning is some possibilities of, of how this grace 
that is beyond just that grace that we receive when we, when we uh, receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It is more than that. It is this grace that continues beyond. And so we are going to look at a humble grace that, uh, that supports us. We're going to look at a resisting grace that strengthens us. And we're going to look at this steadfast grace that sustains us or brings us security in our lives. You can follow along if you like. In the, uh, there's an insert in your bulletin with opportunity to, to fill in some notes or, or doodle or <laughs> pay attention. Okay. Let's start out. Humility. The humble grace that is given to us. The, uh, the grace that God uh, has for us. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the crowd, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Those three verses, I believe, are describing for us this humble grace, that come, this grace that comes to us through our humility before God. Notice in that verse, in verse 5, that it talks about the fact that we are to clothe ourselves with grace. That word clothing uh, has the sense of that type of garment that we tie up, that we, uh, that we put on and, and tie up. Here's a, here's a guy with an apron uh, as he's preparing to, uh, to serve uh, a family at the, at the backyard grill. And as, as he does, does so, he puts on that apron and ties it up around him. That's the sense in which this humility is encouraged to be, uh, th that we are encouraged to put on uh, as, as uh, we read this text. He says, clothe yourself, tie it on, put it around you so that you are ready to serve. Service is a, is a humble uh, attribute. It's a humble uh, thing that we do. Humility and clothing. Another sense in which this uh, clothing or clothing yourselves or tying it on, it has to do with a foundational garment. Now, I never dreamed I would preach a sermon and talk about a woman's undergarments. But here it is. The, woman, the, the undergarment of a corset is like being tied up in order to provide that foundation and support uh, on, under the, the outer clothing, the outer, outer uh, garments that are there. Jackie and I watched, uh, I think it was on Prime uh, TV a, a few months back, uh, the series on Queen Victoria. And in, and in that series, she was often accompanied by ladies-in-waiting who were, who were tying up her undergarment in support for her royal dress that would go on. It provided the shape for it. Clothing ourselves with humility is just like that. It's like putting on that undergarment that provides the foundation and support for what we are about to do in, in service to God. Clothe yourselves with humility. Uh, humility is what God is looking for. Did you see in that verse, I think it's verse uh, 5 still, that... Uh, that uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? It's what God is looking for in us. He's looking for the humility, not the pride. He's looking for that, that contrition within our, within our hearts. Psalm 51, 17 says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God is looking for that contrition, that humble uh, spirit before him. That's what he's seeking. Why? So that he can give you the grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility. It's what God supports. It's not only what he's looking for, but it's what God supports. In verse 6, it says... 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. James, in his letter, in his book, in chapter 4, verse 10, says it this way. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James and Peter must have, must have known the same God. It's like they're saying the same thing. Tell you what, the Bible confirms itself. The Bible is its best own commentary. When Peter says, humble yourself and he will exalt you, James comes along under the, under the uh, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, humble yourself and he will lift you up. It's the truth. It's the truth of scripture. It's the grace of God. Verse 7 in, our, in the ESV uh, translation that we, that we have, that was read here this morning, says, casting all your cares upon him. In, my, in uh, the NIV Bible, and then I think in, in the King James Bible as, as well, it says, cast your cares upon him. Well, the original language, cat, the word, verb cast, is a present participle verb. Okay, wait a minute. You, you didn't come here to have an English lesson on verb tenses and all of that. But they're important. They are important. Casting is a present participle verb. It's what we are doing as we perform the, and obey the, the actual verb in that sentence. If you look back at verse 6, that's where the sentence begins. Verse 7 completes it. The verb in verse 6 is humble yourself. Humble. That's the command of the verse. As we do so, we cast our cares upon him. As we humble ourselves, there is this casting of our cares that takes place. Often we'll think of humility and pride on a continuum or in opposition to each other. And in fact, they are. That's, that's suggested here in verse 5. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Pride is like an opposite to humility. But Peter seems to suggest by adding this idea of casting our cares upon him, casting our anxieties upon him, that anxiety and humility are in uh, tension with each other in opposition to each other. I, would, I, I think about it like this. I think pride leads to anxiety. Why, why would I say that? When I get anxious about something, usually it's because I don't have control of it. In my pride, I want to have control. I want to know that I've got it and I've, I can take care of this. And when, there, when that gets out of control for me, I start to get anxious. I start to feel the stress. I start to think, well, maybe I'll do this, or I'll bring in this, or I'll accomplish this in order to, to squelch that. Pride leads to anxiety. And if you notice on this, those of you who, who like graphs and charts, which I do, if, if you notice on this thing, on this graph, that as humility increases, pride and anxiety decrease. As you, humility increases, our pride, our anxiety decreases. Anxiety will bring on grief and the stress and, and discomfort, and it, it actually can cause ulcers. It can be, it can be uh, physically harming as well as emotionally. But God says, if you humble yourself before me, and as you do so, you're casting your anxiety to, to me, that's what I'm looking for in you. And I will give you grace. I will transform that grief to grace. That discomfort, that stressful situation is like a load lifted off. When we humble ourselves, 
Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Years ago, there was a, a so popular song, I think it was in the 80s, that uh, uh, was a whistling type of song. You may remember it. In fact, if, if you're one of those who likes to fill in the notes ahead of the preacher, you've probably already filled this one in with the title of the song that I'm, I'm about to say to you. Because uh, the title of that song was, Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? Peter's saying, don't worry, be humble, be humble. Then this, this whole thing, this whole concept that the world was, was talking about, a, a way to get out of that anxiety was just to be happy and, and whistle a happy tune. No, be humble and God will give you that grace. Praise God for that. I want you to think about it for a moment. When were you humbled? When, when was I humbled? Maybe it was a time when, when I was embarrassed or maybe Jackie was humbled this morning as I told that story. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there was a time when it just, just caused you to, to decrease in size a little bit. But I'd tell you this. If you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, I know this, that you were humbled when you came to the cross. You had to give up yourself in order to give in to him. You had to say, it's, I can't do this. You had to say, I, this is not on my own. I cannot gain Christ, gain heaven without you. You had to humble yourself. No one ever entered heaven singing my way. No one ever entered heaven singing my way. You, you know that song, right? Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. I just wrote down a few of his lyrics. Let me read those to you. I've loved, I've laughed I, and cried. I've had my fill, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing. To think, I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me, I did it my way. For what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Now, I don't know, maybe Frank Sinatra and, and that song is one of your favorites, and, and that's okay. But I'm here to tell you, no one ever entered heaven singing that song. It's been a few weeks ago now. Uh, I was at the committal service for Don Adkins, the burial at the cemetery. And the family chose to sing a song as we were gathered around that gravesite. I'll tell you this, the song was not my way. The song was amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You hear the humility in that? That's how you get into heaven. The humble grace that comes from God. That's humble grace. Let's look at resisting grace for just a moment. Resisting grace. Verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. These two verses are all about the devil. And the first thing that he points out in, in, that, in those verses, I believe, is that the devil is our enemy. He is at opposition to everything that we would do in terms of trying to walk the walk with Jesus Christ. He's at opposition to try to keep you from even coming to Christ to begin with. He's there to throw up the blocks and put in the, in the path anything that would hinder you. 
and he's there to, to devour you. A couple of things about uh, this devil who is our enemy. First of all, Peter's, I, I think, telling us that we ought to be alert, be alert to his schemes. When I was in high school, I played football for one year, a freshman year in high school. I decided that wasn't what I wanted to do. I, do, I went out for cross country the next year. Uh, I was not a real good player. <laughs> I was about third string. But I, I remember the, uh, the coach having on the chalkboard things like this. X's and O's and a play and a plan and all of that. Well, I want, to, I want us to think about this devil and his approach to us, maybe in, along those, those similar lines. Because the devil is there to throw in the fake, to put up the block, and to throw the bomb. The fake. It's the lie. Devil is, the devil is there to tell us lies. He has been from the very beginning. Clear back in the Garden of Eden, he approached Eve and said, did God really say this? And Eve said, yeah, he told us that if we eat of the fruit, we'll die. If we even touch it. He said, you won't die. The devil said, you won't die. You will become like God. He was lying and deceiving from the very beginning. He still does those lies. He still tells those lies. Jesus is not the only way. The Bible says he is. But the devil would put in us a, an alligator word that would replace that or cause us to be confused. He would lie to us. It's the fake. It's the, there's the block. The devil is there to throw up blockades and put, put hardship in our path and, and to, to put uh, things that would depress us or bring us down. He's there to throw all of that at us in order to block us from any process in, in, in our uh, walk with God. Think of the, of the life of Job. The devil came along. He took Job's possessions. He took Job's family. He took, he took Job's health. His wife told him, curse God and die. But in all that, Job did not sin because he humbled himself before God. The devil is there to lie to us and to put up blockades for us. When I was playing freshman uh, football, often uh, I was put in on defense. I was a, one of the linebackers in the middle in the in the in the middle back. I was there to, to look out for the pass. I remember one time I was playing and, and this, the, the, the receiver went out and, and I saw where he was and I watched the quarterback and the quarterback was ready to throw the ball and I thought, I got this. I can see it coming. The light is on. It's like blinding me. I can catch that. And sure enough, I caught it and intercepted that pass and ran. I didn't run for a touchdown. They caught up with me. I was kind of slow. But, but I caught it. It was a few plays later, I think. Similar situation. I was there. The receiver went out. It looked like the same scenario. The light was on for me. I was going to catch it. The quarterback went back to throw the pass. He... Did the fake, the receiver did a button hook and ran for the long one, and the quarterback, caught, uh, he threw it, and he caught it. The devil's there to give us, he comes as an angel of light, the Bible tells us. And so it's, it's going to make things look good to us. He's going he's gonna to tell us things like, this is going to be pleasing, this is all yours, this, is, this can be yours, and we fall for it. That's what the devil is like. Be alert to the devil's schemes and his approaches in your life. He'll fake you, he'll block you, and he'll, he'll throw that bomb. Be alert to the devil's schemes. The next thought that he presents here is the devil is like a roaring lion. We, we need to be aware of his presence. Some of us would say, well, the devil is, doesn't exist. He does. He's there. 
He's like, a, the Bible is telling us, in the, and Peter's telling us in these verses, he's like a roaring lion. I'm sure you've all seen and, and watched the National Geographic uh, films that show the, the, the prowling lions on the plains in Africa, uh, prowling for, uh, for the antelope or the wildebeest or whatever it might be. They're looking for that one who's, who's weak or maybe gone astray or come uh, straight away from the rest of the herd. Don't be like that. Be aware that the prowling lion is there to try to cut you off. Surround yourself with the family of God and the fellowship of believers so that we can encourage one another and stir one another up. Don't be cut off. Be aware of his presence. And thirdly, he tells us to resist the devil. Stand against his attacks. The verb in this verse, or the, the thing in this verse that's, that's mentioned, is that we are to resist him. That's the command. It's not retreat. It's resist, to stand firm. In, in Paul's letters, he told, he told us that, that we have some armor that we can put on in order to stand against the, the schemes of the devil. In Ephesians, he tells us about some of those. I'll just mention a couple of them here. We need to, first of all, have the helmet of salvation. We need to be born again. We need to have God in our lives. We need to have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in order to make this stand against the devil. We need to have the shield of faith. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's the gift of God to us. And... We need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to have that ready to go, to resist. That's how Jesus Christ responded to the devil in his attacks, in his temptations. Jackie and I have three children, uh, two girls, two daughters, and, and a son. This is our second daughter at 17. She was a cheerleader in Pendleton, at Pendleton High School. Isn't she cute? <laughs> I'll tell you this. Uh, if, if you want to show pictures of your family and, and kids, you can do that, but you've got to preach. <laughs> That's Abby. She, uh, she cheered for Pendleton Buckaroos at 17. Here's Abby at 47. She, she, uh, she doesn't do this anymore. This was a few years ago, but she was the, the Ridgefield Raptor. That's a bird of prey. But the Ridgefield uh, Raptors were a baseball team in, in Ridgefield, Washington. And Abby, always the cheerleader, wanted to be that mascot for the Ridgefield Raptors. Well, Jackie told me, don't go off on, on rabbit trails. Well, that's a raptor trail. And so we're just going to stop there. And I want to take you back to uh, what I remember going on at Pendleton High School when Abby was there cheering for that football team. And she would shout and lead the, lead the uh, fans in this cheer. Push him back, push him back, way back. People, that's the cheer. That, God, that Peter's given to us here against the devil. Push him back. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So follow the command of God through his word as believers. Know the devil's schemes and resist him. Push him back. There's a hum humble grace. There's a there's a resisting grace. I want to talk a little bit about a steadfast grace that's our security. Look at verses uh, nine, or 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. A steadfast grace. 
our security. It's what gives us this confidence in, in the one that we've placed our trust in. Steadfast grace. He is the God of all grace, is what this verse says. He is the God of all grace. It is not simply the grace that you received when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not, it, it, that, that's important. That is awesome. That is the amazing grace of God that he would even grant us that. But it is, this verse says, all grace. All grace? I, I, I'm not sure I understand that. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and it says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you see in that verse the alls that are mentioned? All grace, all time, all things, all times, everywhere, everything that we need. God has given us the grace the very breath you just breathed is the grace of God. When you go home and have your noon meal, it's by the grace of God. You ought, to, you ought to pause and give thanks. I think that's why they call it, let's give grace. Let's return grace. It's the grace of God. He has given you everything that you need and everything has been supplied. The God of all grace. That's a marvelous, marvelous grace. He is the God of all grace, and he's the God who is a promise keeper. This God of grace is a promise keeper. Notice there in verse 10, he said, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he's, he's, he's given you this salvation, you are in him, he will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When that word will is in there, he's saying he will do this, it means he will do it. He is the God of promise, of promises. What he says, he will do. Amen. You can count on it. It's the truth of God. There's a verse in, in Numbers, Moses talks about this clear back in the Old Testament, talking about this characteristic of God. In Numbers 23, in verse 19, it says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Those are rhetorical questions because a rhetorical question is one in which you already know the answer. The answer to those questions is he, he fulfills his promises. He fulfills his word. That's who God is. A humble grace, a resisting grace, and a steadfast grace. Well, so what? What are we going to do about this? What, 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 uh, how would we close out this whole book of 1 Peter? What comments could we say? What could we say about God's grace? Well, I believe the so what to this message and the so what to the whole book of 1 Peter is found in verses 12 through 14. In verses 12 through 14, it says this, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. I mean, that, that, that's a such a fitting closing. And while, while some of us might be sidetracked by the names that are there or, or the, the kiss of love, is, is, is Bob going to talk about this kiss of love? I'm not going to go there because the main point of that closing is that what Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, I have written to you briefly. I think it's only about 102 verses. I've written to you briefly 
about the true, that this is the true grace of God. True grace, our salvation. It's the true grace of God that I believe is the emphasis of this whole letter. Yes, he talks about the suffering that they've undergone. It, our, the, the title of our series has been uh, Through the Fire. It is all about the fact that that is there, but it is the grace of God that has brought, this, brought us through. It is this true grace of God that Peter has emphasized and talked about. In fact, just by way of a quick review, I, I recorded every one of the verses that included the word grace. Here they are. Verse 2 of chapter 1. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is a grace that is now, that is there for us right now. And he's saying, I want that to abound, to multiply even more. That's my prayer for you. In verse 10, just in that same chapter, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The Old Testament prophets had had written about the coming one, that that sacrifice for sin that would be there. And there was this mystery that they didn't quite understand and and get. And they searched, it says, they, they searched intently trying to figure this all out. And it's the grace of God that was coming for you. That's the grace that was to be. It was the grace that was there for them to be. Verse 13 in chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the grace that is yet to come. Friends, Jesus is coming again. And what a grace that will be when we see him. It will complete our salvation. Salvation has a past, it has a present, and it has a future. In the past, he justified it when we, when we came to the cross and, and, and knelt there and gave our lives to him. In the present, he is sanctifying us right now. He's making us holy. He's transforming each of us into the likeness of his son. And in the future, he's coming again for that glorification in heaven with him. What an awesome thing to think about. Three more that show up in this book. In chapter 4 and verse 10, in chapter 4 and verse 10, he mentions, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. He's gifted each one of you as a believer in Jesus Christ. He's gifted you for service within the church. That verse is saying, use it. <laughs> He's given that grace to each of us. And the, ex- and the experience that we can have is to share it with one another. In verse uh, uh, 10 of chapter 5, we already read this, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He is the God of all grace. And then in in this same chapter, chapter 5, at verse verse, uh, uh, 12, he says, I declare that this is the true grace of God. It It is not the grace of a God. It is not the grace of a man is the grace of God that has come to us through Jesus Christ. As I look back at these verses and I thought, wow, he's mentioned, he's mentioned grace throughout this book. Wonder, wonder what was in chapter 2 and chapter 3 that he didn't use the word. So I looked. That's a good thing for you to do sometimes, is look in your Bibles. I looked. I looked at chapter 2 and chapter 3, and here's what I found. Peter describes grace for what it really is. He doesn't use the word, but he describes it. Chapter 2 and verse 24. He himself, that is Jesus Christ, 
bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Wow, that's a marvelous grace. That's grace described. And then he goes on and describes it even further in chapter 3 at verse 18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous, that is Jesus Christ, for the unrighteous, that's you and I. That's grace. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. I didn't deserve this grace, this gift. I didn't deserve it. I deserved to die. I deserved to be that one on the cross, dying for my sin. But he took my place. He took your place. That's grace. This whole book is about the marvelous grace of God. So have you received that grace? Can you claim that grace for yours? For your very own? If you go through cemeteries in town here or anywhere, you might find an epitaph similar to this. RIP, we understand what that means, rest in peace. Rest in peace is, I, I, I view it could be taken two ways. Rest in peace could be a prayer for the soul of the one who has departed, or it could be a fact of the truth for the one that's departed. That they are resting in peace because they had received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Look at the last phrase of 1 Peter 5. Peace to all of you. But wait, there's more in that sentence. It says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. You see, if there's no Christ, there's no peace. But watch this. Watch on the screen. No Christ, no peace. No Christ, no peace. You can know the peace that's being talked about here if you know the one who can provide it. No Christ and no peace. Okay. Lee, can you help me out? Can you advance that one? Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says this, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious for you. He rises to show you compassion. God wants to show you his grace. The Bible says he's being patient with us waiting for you to come to repentance so that he can give you that grace. Whoop, now it wants to go too far. Stop. Recently I heard David Jeremiah, uh, a popular uh, preacher, theologian, in Southern California, preach a message. He closed that message, and with this, we'll close here. He closed that message by saying this. You're either born once to die twice, or you're born twice to die once. And as he went on to explain what he meant by that, there's kind of four choices or four options that are given there. Two births, two deaths. Four things. We each get three of them. Can't have all four. The birth, physical birth, has already been determined for us. God, you didn't have a choice in that. God gave you, God gave you life. He chose that for you at, at the appointed time. 
your physical death, he's appointed that for you as well. The Bible tells us that our day, he has numbered our days. That's why we refer to death sometimes as my number's up. So my physical birth and my physical death have been chosen. I've got three of the four that I can receive. That only leaves two, a, a spiritual birth or a spiritual death. Which are you gonna take? He's given us this lifetime to make that choice. He's given that choice to you, to me. Have you chosen him for that second birth? We call it being born again. You choose that and you only have to die once. You'll die physically, but you will enter eternity and eternal life forever. You choose to ignore that choice of second birth and you will, you will die physically and you will die spiritually. Spiritual death is that eternal separation from God, eternal separation from God. And the Bible describes it as hell. It's your choice. You've got this lifetime to do it. I pray that you've chosen him. Lord God, as we've closed out this book that uh, you've given to us in, in uh, Peter. I pray, God, I pray that the marvelous grace that we've spoken of here today will be the experience of each one. God, I pray that there would be none here that would choose to leave this place not having known that they've received your grace and can claim it for theirs. I pray that grace and peace would abound to each one. In Jesus' name, amen.